Hi, I'm Matthew Chung, CEO of iPushPull, and the following is a conversation with Michael Maurer from Microsoft, who is a data analytics and AI solutions specialist. On the topic, what is your chat strategy? So Michael shares his thoughts on how Microsoft Teams can become an entry point into using AI, how data is paramount in the use of large language models, and then he goes on to share his ideas on the future of AI in business. Enjoy. So, Michael, yeah, thanks, thanks for joining me today. Um, so, Michael, firstly, what, what do you do at Microsoft? So, I'm a data AI specialist at Microsoft, <clears throat> focusing on understanding the client scenario and trying to map it into the Microsoft product portfolio. So getting the right specialists on board for supporting my client to adopting Azure technologies like OpenAI, ChatGPT. So you must be very busy at the moment. Yes. So <laughs> in, in, in sales terms, we're in a luxury moment that the clients call us. Uh, I don't need to prospect, uh, identify, reach out. Uh, use cases are spreading. Uh, faster than we can follow up with right now. Interesting. And how many of those use cases are focused around chat and and, you know, and with Teams? Because there's mm -hmm. two there's two interfaces or tools that you can be used with um, with how people are going to market with these ideas. So with ChatGPT, when it first came out, end of November. All of a sudden, that you know, GPTs and large language models have been around for a few years, but this new kind of interface on top of it suddenly changed the game. Now that you can have, you know, you can plug directly into the GPT via Azure, and you've got Microsoft Teams. How how many of the use cases you are seeing are plugging those two things together, mm -hmm. and how many is actually using GPT in other areas as well, like outside yep. of just chat? Mm -hmm. I would like to take one step back and look at the, the chat GPT interface as such. So now thinking of the way a human is interacting with a computer is currently changing. So in today's world, we have this kind of taskbar. You have the icons, you know, per task you want to execute, there's an application for. And this changes now tremendously as you get a different entry point in interacting with your computer. So instead of opening Outlook to write the email, instead of opening PowerPoint to do the, the slides, yeah, you, has, you, ha, you will get that as an entry point so that you can interact with all kind of settings, uh, with the, the capabilities of these applications directly in natural language. So based on that, we see it's just another channel you're starting that interaction with. And interestingly, those companies who started adopting Teams broadly, so to have by topic, by account or whatsoever, um, uh, Teams channels then created, uh, they are really seeing that also for cross-Teams collaboration, so within Teams itself. And for example, with integration into CRM system, Dynamics, Salesforce, others, yeah, um, it's getting a new entry point in maintaining certain data accessing certain data. So I don't need to go to Power BI to understand the latest sales report, rather than chatting just in my account channel to get the numbers for this account as a report dynamically pushed. And this is something where I see that the 
entry point, the user experience, um, which which started normally by the user is going to find the right application, open it, and then executing the task, is getting more into mode that you have your preferred working style, and there you find your chat-enabled um, um, kind of co-pilot in the words of Microsoft, whatever you, mm -hmm. you name it. Yeah? But um, here it's definitely kind of merging the access entry points. So thinking of once you have built a, um, a chat-enabled system, um, you can start having these entry points in your intranet, in Teams, in like you did now in Symfony. The, the architecture behind more or less stays the same. So also the, the clients currently are reviewing their investments in OpenAI because sometimes it starts with a new eye in mind. But when you when you sit next to someone really working with the tech, you find other UIs are the kind of sweet spot, the main entry points, and integrating there does make more sense than uh, searching for something else. So with Teams, definitely um, from the, the adoption rate we see, it's a very fast adoption rate uh, with Teams since the, the COVID crisis. So it is well established in the FSI industry, or at least at my FSI clients. So having there an entry point is uh, a preferred starting point for many of my clients. How, how do you see um, Teams being used going forward where in financial markets, historically, you've had Bloomberg chat, you know, more recently, things like Symfony, you had you know, Reuters Messenger, which is now Workspace Messenger, and, and various different chat platforms which have existed in different areas of financial markets or commodities. Mm -hmm. And each kind of area seems to have gravitated toward, towards slightly different platforms. How do you see Teams um, launching from the, I suppose, the, the footprint that it has, i.e. on everyone's desktop. But mm -hmm. for a lot of people, it's used for chatting internally or doing video calls, less so for financial market workflows. When I'm mm -hmm. talking specifically about, you know, kind of pre-trade workflows, post-trade workflows, things where there's interaction with clients and counterparts and so on. To, mm -hmm. to date, Teams has not been, you know, the platform of choice for that. But as mm -hmm. we go forward, how do you see that evolving? So the, the interesting part here is that you're living in that kind of world of APIs now. So I see that um, uh, service consumption is not limited to a user interface as or if there is the possibility to integrate. Think of Teams becoming a kind of agglomeration point or as well the Microsoft Copilot story, an agglomeration point where you start the conversation but then it gets rooted to the kind of most uh, relevant chat experience. For example, then to Reuters or Bloomberg capabilities who are underpin these kind of Microsoft co-pilot experiences. So that is something um, from the envisioning phase, it's easy to th think about that. And um, let's wait what our product groups are going to bring in that area now. Um, from the team's adoption itself, um, we see, for example, a lot of work being executed still in Excel as the, the main tool of working with data, consuming data, analyzing and, and uh, yeah, publishing nice pivot charts. Um, however, 
that is also now merging into that uh, kind of co-pilot experience when thinking of team as the starting points you know, then leveraging what axel has underneath or your analytics platform like synapse so those are coming closer together and i think from a data governance perspective many of my clients want to profit from that in order to to get to know where is what data actually used in the environment um, because in these tons of excel sheets it's sometimes difficult to understand where does the source come from and the lineage behind data quality aspects as well so there i see ai is a conversation starter but there are then dependencies about where to expose what data as well as where to make it accessible for these chat experiences. So for me, the interface with Teams is the entry point. And then we have this kind of ecosystem around to think of uh, what is about sensitivity of data? Yeah? Should my co-pilot be able to access A, B, C or only A and B because C has a different sensitivity label and should not be taken into account? No. So that is something where you can think of different scenarios um where i see um, teams as such is that entry point bringing the office 365 graph so the information about usage of documents together with analytics platforms and the kind of infrastructure services so that is uh, from my data ai perspective a quite interesting sweet spot because you you get already the graph information you don't have to additionally add them how how do you see the the users who who can so you've got something like power automate right which is is very yeah. powerful and you know gluing things together and creating workflows and so on mm -hmm. you said earlier your comment that uh, teams or any, any kind of platform but teams is is the entry point where yeah, mm -hmm. you can start a particular workflow but then through apis that are connected everywhere yep. you can then connect into lots of different things how does that sit with no code development mm -hmm. versus the api integration layer that actually needs to be behind the scenes with when you're talking mm -hmm. to large financial institutions can be a bit of a mess and it isn't as easy just to connect with our api because there's very old systems and things don't talk to each other mm -hmm. how, how do how do you see the no code developer um operating in the world where there's highly you know, regulated, difficult to access, yeah. disparate data. How do those two things plug together? Yeah, and this is a very interesting area because of this thinking of this self-service on your data. This requires definitely a different data governance strategy and all these kind of buzzwords like data mesh came into mind you now. Uh, however, those who really started adopting these architectural principles, yeah, they can now profit from them. Because if you have really started defining data products uh, with ownership and um, being able to vote about the quality of the data, yeah, you can then expose only with a certain rating quality data into the uh, experiences. So without that pre-investment, um, it's that kind of difficult statement about garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, so you, in order to get the most out of your chat experience based on your data, you need to ensure that um, certain quality levels are there. No? So thinking of that experience um, where you 
receive recommendations based on data. Um, if relevance suffers, the users might stop adopting the service for them. So if you have 10 times a bad experience, why should you start uh, with a chat the 11th time? So I think that is the, the exercise my uh, clients are currently undergoing, not only developing that chat service, but ensuring the quality of outcome to have a broad adoption, to make most of, of that investment in, in developing it. And um, there I encourage my clients to start testing as fast as possible. Now, thinking of a self-service notion, most of my clients are in that kind of regulated industry with certain IT service management processes in place. So for them, it's a little bit, the, for the corporate ITs, the nightmare of having a self-service platform and no one knows what happens. Yeah? But on the other hand, if you implement uh, self-service data platforms the right way, uh, it will really free up IT from kind of being the servant to business in building the next report. Yeah? Um, and that is something where we see interest. However, yeah, it's, for example, in manufacturing, we have clients who broadly adopted a self-service power platform. So having the business building um, applications, and it reminds me that these Lotus Notes applications, and they started adopting that broadly. And then they ranked the applications by usage and taking them over into their corporate uh, umbrella as soon as a certain threshold was hit. And this approach is in discussion in FSI, but right now it's really that more strict separation between an IT building a service, ensuring an SLA or OLA within the company, rather than having the business um, doing the actual development themselves. And it's definitely about the value a business um, employee can bring to the company. So is it worth having the most special guy working on an application um, in terms of salary, in terms of knowledge, in terms of client contact, which might be a better investment, not having him building these applications rather than giving feedback and doing testing intensively? How how do you see Microsoft, uh, for, for a lot of people, sits on their desktop with different tools they can use for their own use and a lot of the time for internal within the company use, less so when it's kind of, uh, you know, kind of internal to external because mm -hmm. of the nature of data sharing can be clunky and SFTP and uh, APIs take a long, long time to connect together and so on. How do you see the growth of um, what's happening on a user's desktop and how they're communicating with people externally? Mm -hmm. And then with that, how how do you see minimizing the friction um, for people to communicate with each other? For example, we're working with you at the moment around having a Teams app which sits on the App Store, which is, uh, is going to be a certain threshold. So hopefully some companies can click the button and off they go but because of the nature of some fsi companies there's still various infosec that companies have to go through yeah. how how do you see that moving forward in the next mm -hmm. few years kind of minimizing the friction and making it much easier to to communicate externally with clients and customers and counterparts yeah. 
So B2B, let's say, services. Um, this was a topic Microsoft started with uh, Active Directory in year 2015, I think. And that time, the first B2C uh, scenarios and B2B scenarios came into that service. And over time, it was expanded into different, let's say, buckets, different areas of interaction. For example, in Teams today, you can have multiple identities joining your Teams client and then switching so that you can have external collaboration. So Microsoft with iPushPull having a separate team setup in a B2B scenario working like a charm. The thing is, as soon as you have, for example, uh, applications built and published into a store, then the question comes up from the internal IT, is the publisher trustworthy? Is the code of a certain quality? And can I protect my content with DLP or whatsoever? And in these scenarios, um, now taking the example of the Teams application store, we have a certification process in place. And getting through with a Teams or custom Teams app is also then something where we publish the certified applications on our documentation so that the internal ITs can review from client X that application was published and I want to consume it because I have a business relation between that other company and myself. And if it's then uh, uh, code reviewed by Microsoft, then the kind of trustworthiness of the source is definitely bigger than just handing over a zip file, which you can still deploy and install in your Teams environment. Yeah. So looking at that, the mechanisms are sometimes not aligned across the portfolio of Microsoft. So having at Teams a different experience than if you publish your solution in the Azure Marketplace or publishing data products in Purview in B2B. So with Azure Data Share, for example, underneath. Um, I assume that we will see further investment of Microsoft in this area to align the experiences and make it easier, more intuitive to, to start sharing information. Yeah. So to finish off, it'd be good to hear your thoughts on, it's obviously been a very busy year since you know, OpenAI have released ChatGPT. And like you said, there's this, this moment in time where from a sales perspective, it's this kind of luxury moment where you know customers are knocking at your door. Um, yeah. you know, similarly, we've seen the same thing in, in our business. How do you see that uh, rate of growth continuing and, and proliferating mm -hmm. using these, these AI kind of out-of-the-box tools across different you know, integrations, platforms, and so on? Yeah. All of us probably have heard in the past of the Gartner hype cycle. And thinking of chatbot experiences, I have the impression that we had that first hype in the year 2015, 2016 with that first chatbot wave. However, the capabilities were kind of limited. Right now, I see that the, the let's say, the speed of innovation we have seen in the AI area is unlocking certain scenarios, which no one has been able to think before. So my hope is that we are in that cycle of the hype cycle where we see then a continued growth uh, until saturation. Right now, I have the impression also the market is currently fiddling out scenarios worth investing in. So most often I hear, ah, let's use it for an optimized internet search. But op optimized internet search is nice, but no one will create revenue out of that. 
And my client started thinking of where are services um, either saving cost or generating revenue. So understanding the business model behind. And I have the impression that the capabilities these services bring to market support in both areas really interesting scenarios. So that's why I think, yeah, there will be a continued growth and um, not the, the kind of second hype. When thinking of um, where will the market lead with technology, I'm, I'm very impressed that my product group opened up the AI studio for uh, third-party services plugging in. So thinking of you come in with a co-pilot experience with the first ask, and then you have uh, third parties or open source hosted on Azure. So AI models, uh, which you can uh, then, then train or customize on your own to have specialized models running. So this time it's not the uh, Microsoft has the one and only AI, it's really an ecosystem of AI services now being able to integrate. And that's what makes me excited because I think that's the right approach for the market because no one knows what next is with innovation uh, at that next step. Yeah? So I'd rather integrate uh, the newest fancy stuff which serves to a certain quality than uh, having to stick to a piece of technology. Yep, and it's that interoperability and, and building block components so that yeah, when the next thing comes along, it's very easy to slot it in. Um, great, Michael, thank you very much. Thank you, Matthew. This is the iPushPool podcast series about what is your chat strategy? Over the next few months, we'll talk to leaders in the field and their views on the chat ecosystem, chatbots, and how AI is evolving the space. We hope you learn something new.